Sweet. Well, um, I'm, uh, I'm happy to share this morning. Uh, we've been continuing our series on ordinary people, extraordinary God. And um, today I'm going to talk uh, and explore the story of the shepherds today. And uh, I've titled my message, Favored, Included, and Significant. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I was been preparing this message and, and, and looking at the story of the shepherds. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me is that they're, they're the, uh, some of the only non, you know, not Mary and Joseph people uh, involved in the actual event itself. Now, we don't know, was it within hours that they showed up after Jesus was born? Was it within 24 hours? But it, you kind of get this idea that it was really close. It was really close in time. Um, other actors in this story where Jesus is, uh, is revealed and his birth comes, you know, you've got the wise men. They've been studying for a long time, and they travel for a long time. In fact, it's, it's estimated it could have been two years that it took for the wise men to actually show up with Jesus. So, yes, the wise men are important, but they weren't there. They weren't gathered around the manger. They weren't gathered around baby Jesus. They came later. And then you've got people who uh, were waiting in the temple, and they, they experienced Jesus after eight days, after he'd been alive eight days. You've got these different characters, but the shepherds were like, I was there. You ever have those, comp, you know, you ever telling stories with people, and, you know, you recount this story like, oh, this was such an amazing game. Did you see the youths beat USC? And they tell all these stories, and then you're like, well, yeah, I was there. And then, you know, you kind of always trying to one-up people in your stories. Uh, and you get this idea of like, well, if you were there, if you were there in the moment, somehow you were there for the most significant time. Um, so the shepherds, they're there for this most uh, intimate, most closest to the Jesus's birth um, than any other actors that we see, uh, any other characters, any other people uh, that we see in the story. So I want to read a little bit. The story is found in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. It really picks up actually in verse 7 or 8, but I like uh, starting in verse 1 because it sets a little bit of context. To understand the shepherds, to understand the significance of the shepherds, to understand why it was so amazing that the, the shepherds were favored and that they were included and that they were significant, is we need to understand a little bit about the time in which they lived. So Luke writes, and he starts writing in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, um, in, which was uh, in Judea, to Bethlehem, or sorry, uh, in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So uh, Joseph, Mary, they travel to Bethlehem. It's about a 90-mile um, distance from Nazareth, where they're living, to Bethlehem. And I, before I continue on the story, I want to pause there. And first, in the very first verse, it says this. It says, uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. So when we all read that, we kind of go, oh, that's interesting. Like, we don't read it. Like, if I said to you right now, um, in, in the uh, 30, uh, let me just say this, in the time when FDR was president of the United States, around the time after the Great Depression, you all would go, oh, we get it. Like, you would immediately 
have a context. You would immediately have an understanding. That's what Luke is doing here when he's writing. He's like, in this time when Caesar Augustus is in charge, this is what's going on. The, the people who are receiving this letter, who are reading what Luke wrote, they're going, oh, that makes a ton of sense. They, they, there's a whole bunch of understanding and context that they get when they read that. And there's a whole bunch of meaning that Luke is trying to get people to understand when he's writing it. He's probably writing it about 70 years after the birth of Jesus. But he's giving this context. When you look at different commentators, they say this about Caesar Augustus. They say he was the most powerful ruler ever known in the Mediterranean world, the entire Roman world. And this census was to assess taxes. So it's like, it's not just he's making this kind of general statement um, that's, you know, good FYI. He's making a statement about what the world was like at that time. Caesar Augustus is in charge of the world. This statement by Luke has helped to position us as readers for what life was like. Israel was under this rule. Bethlehem was under this rule. The people of Israel were under this rule and oppression and occupation of Rome. And Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to register so he could probably pay more taxes. It's, it's, it's guessed that the reason he had to go back is maybe he had some land there. Uh, he hadn't been living there. They don't know exactly why he had to go back. Um, but most of the commentators believe it was like, hey, you got to go. If you, if you are part of this town, you're part of the lineage, then you get to pay more taxes. Sounds like fun. So they're, they're making this journey. They get there. Another commentator, Kurt Willem, says this, the subjugation, the tax burden, and the imperial worship of the Roman Empire and emperor served as the backdrop of Luke's gospel. So they're traveling to this town of Bethlehem. She's pregnant. They're living in this time of occupation and oppression and taxation. And it's it's like a heavy time. It's like a dark time. It's like, oh man, if you'd been living, if you and I had been living in the times of the Great Depression, maybe that would, wouldn't even come close. I don't think it would even come close to feeling like it did at that time, but it might give you a little bit of the emotion. It might give you a little bit of the feeling, what they're feeling at that time. So they show up. It says this in verse five. He went there, Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child while they were there. So it's, it's like they were there for a little bit of time. You know, I, we, we like the movie stories where it's like they've been traveling, you know, the Hallmark story, you've been traveling in the snow all night long, your car breaks down, and you barely make it to the cave to have a baby. The, that's not really what's conveyed in the story here. Uh, what's conveyed in the story is that they've traveled there and they've spent a little bit of time there and it's time to have a baby, which makes it more interesting that there wasn't room. We'll get to more of that later. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Interesting, they'd been in this town, maybe for a little while, and couldn't drum up the sympathy or availability of, of a place to have a baby. Interesting. So here's where the shepherds appear. So this has happened. We know, I mean, angels have appeared to Mary and Joseph. There's all of this stuff leading up to it. And then it says this in verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. By the way, just as a sidebar for those of you who like words, the word great host or uh, company is the word where we get the word plethora. Have you ever talked about a plethora of sweaters? Anybody? Three amigos? No? Okay. Plethora, that, that word in there, it's like a plethora of angels. So now whenever I read that passage, I'm ruined. I think about a plethora of angels. There you go. You're welcome. A whole bunch, a plethora, uh, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and got into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So that's the 20 verses. That's the context. That's such a familiar passage. It's read every year. It's, it's read all the time. But think about this backdrop that Luke has painted of Caesar Augustus. Think of this backdrop of Rome and subjugation and occupation and oppression that they're living under. And Messiah comes, Savior comes, Messiah is announced. The Savior's announced in this time of great empire. And where is it announced? What does God do? He announces it in the most obscure, hidden, isolated way. He announces it to a bunch of shepherds out in a field. He's like the anti-empire. He's like, you know, yes, you've got Caesar Augustus. And by the way, uh, some commentators say those things that are described about Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, those were being said about Caesar Augustus, especially by those people in Rome who he took all, a lot of the taxation money that he got from all of the different places they had conquered and fed the people in Rome and would bring in food and feed the people so that the people close to him worshipped him and the people from afar funded it. It was, an in, it was such a time. They would have heard, when they read this, they would have heard the comparison of the, what's being said about Jesus, the Savior who's come, this Messiah who's come, this Messiah that's going to be bring peace, bring joy, bring justice. These were the things that were being said about Caesar Augustus. So this is a story about how God deals differently than the empires of our own making. You've got the dominance of Rome, and you've got this humble beginning of Jesus. You've, and what's amazing in this story is you have this declaration of God's favor. You have this declaration of the jubilee of God coming. And you've got to think that the, that the shepherds are kind of like, you're, cra you're crazy. Like, this is a preposterous announcement. This is a crazy announcement. 
God's ways are different than our ways. While the people are living under oppression and occupation and tyranny, this baby's born in an obscurity. And the, the shepherds are the ones who are brought in on it. This story is about God bringing favor, bringing favor, bringing favor, and not oppression. Favor for all people, people. favor for the poor and oppressed, favor for the shepherds, favor for those specific shepherds, those specific people. So I wanted to explore these three aspects of favor, in being included, and being significant. So the shepherds, they're tending their sheep. They're talking about life. Th these are the folks, they're working the night shift too. So I'm guessing that on the pecking order of shepherds, they might have been the lowest ones. They might have been like, man, we get the night shift too. Maybe they're sitting around the fire. Maybe there isn't a fire. Maybe they're just talking about Rome. Maybe they're scheming about their next job. Maybe they're like, man, this is a miserable job. Um, how do I get a better job? How do I get the day shift? Maybe they're talking about how they're going to swindle somebody. Maybe they're talking about how they want change. Maybe they're just like, ah, oh, I can never get ahead. This is, man, there's more taxation coming. Can you believe here that everybody had to come to register? They can take more of our money. This is maybe the conversation they're having around the fire. And then the angels appear and begin making crazy declarations. They would have seemed crazy at the time. Good news, great joy, a savior, a Messiah, peace and favor from God. This was like the opposite, the exact opposite, the counter story of what was being told to them in this time. This message is a message of, dance, of, of transformation, of change, of jubilee, of freedom. And it wasn't announced in government seats. It wasn't announced in religious places. God could have announced it in, in any of those places. It wasn't announced in those places. It was delivered in a field of really insignificant players. Rich Velotis says this. He says, the locus of God's presence and activity is not found in the corridors of great power. Good news, great joy for all people a Messiah for all. And then in that message that he delivers, the angel delivers to the shepherds, he says, a Messiah to you. Today is born a Messiah to you. The, the shepherds are included in this favor. They're included in what God is doing. The Messiah is born for them. And what's interesting is, I, I, as I was been reflecting on the story, I thought that the angel visitation was like the big part of the story. Like, if angels show up, that's a pretty big sign, right? That's a pretty big, like, aha. Well, the angels show up and say, but a sign is being given to you. So it wasn't that the angels were showing up was the sign. They said this, we're going to give you a specific sign unique to you. And it's go into the town and see a baby. And you'll find it in a manger. That's your sign. That's the specific thing that you're getting. It wasn't that the angels showed up. It was that the angels gave them a special sign of being able to identify Jesus. I love that. I love that other players got different signs. There's different signs that, that point to, but all of the signs 
point back to Jesus. The angels weren't saying, us showing up is the sign. The angels were saying, a baby in a manger is your sign. The sign brought them back to the purpose of Jesus. These shepherds were favored. They weren't the powerful. They weren't the rich. They weren't the significant. They weren't the important. They were working the night shift. I think it's also at that time, there's been, there's debate about the stature of the shepherds in that time. Some would say that, that they still had a good reputation. Others would say that they were just hired hands. And when you read John 10, you get that idea of some shepherds are just hired hands. And so they may have even been looked down upon at that time. And it's interesting that Jesus identifies himself later in his life as the good shepherd. It's like he's, he's coming to even redeem the occupation of being a shepherd. And what is he declaring? What is he declaring to these shepherds? He's declaring favor. And this is a, a bit of a common theme in the book of Luke. You see the word favor used in the book of Luke more than you see in any of the other gospels. Brian Zahn says this about Luke's gospel. He says, Jesus's public ministry is first described as he announced the arrival of Jubilee in the day of divine favor at his hometown and synagogue. Uh, hometown synagogue in Nazareth. The message is that it's time for God's favor to fall upon all people. This is, this is Luke's message. He's like, God's favor is called to fall upon all people. God chose this humble kingdom of heaven over this mighty power of empire. You know, for us today, our favor, us being favored of God, God is speaking to us and he's saying, his favor is for all. His favor is over you. His favor is over me. And you know what his favor is? His favor is not the country you live in. His favor is not our constitution. His favor is not our laws. He didn't come to the shepherds and say, I'm bringing you favor through how the Roman Empire works. He was bringing a subversive kingdom. Do you know we don't talk about the Roman Empire anymore except in history books? Rome seems like a cool place to visit. We don't talk about Caesar Augustus anymore, except in history books, but we talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about this kingdom of God that was announced to shepherds in the time of massive empire, and that was the seed that was planted. That was the savior that was born. That was the lamb who was slain for the salvation of the world. That's how God builds kingdom. Our favor or lack of favor is not tied to our government. God's jubilee was not to be found in the power of the Roman Empire. No matter how much you wanted to spin it or fix it or correct it or align it, it wasn't going to be found there. So what is this favor? What is, what is God calling the shepherds to do? He's calling them to celebrate. Seems like a crazy time to celebrate, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like a little off tone, a little off message? Like you're going to celebrate right now. You're going to celebrate this baby. You're going to celebrate this Messiah. You're going to celebrate this Savior. Do you realize what you're living under? It's a bad time to celebrate. Pick a better time to celebrate. Interesting, right? I think there's something subversive about celebration 
in the time of occupation and oppression and taxation? Do, you, do we celebrate then? Do we celebrate a Messiah who's, a, who's declared jubilee and freedom and salvation in the midst of really difficult and dark times? What is the vision of God's favor that we embrace? Do we define, how do we define favor? What does favor look like? Do we find, do define it in, in God's terms? The way that Jesus brought favor, the way Jesus loved the unlovely, the way Jesus loves us in the midst of every one of our sins, the way that it's not by our might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. What oppression and occupation do you live under? Are we fixated with the stories of empire and Caesar? Are those the stories we talk about all the time? Ah, can you believe this? Can you believe that? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? Or are we drawn into God's jubilee story? Are we drawn into a bigger story? Are we drawn into a story where God's playing the long game? He's declaring jubilee. How was Jesus going to take on the superpower of his time? I'll give you one more analogy. Maybe this, see if this one helps. 70 years ago, Harry Truman was president of the United States, 1952, post-World War II. At that time, Puerto Rico in 1952, they, they got a new uh, governmental constitution. Think about a little village outside of the capital of San Juan in Puerto Rico when Harry Truman was president in 1952. Maybe that's what it was like Jesus being born in Bethlehem, a village outside of the capital in Puerto Rico 70 years ago. Do you all think that that's significant to you today? You Think about that. How significant, how has your life changed by a baby being born in a little village outside of the capital of Puerto Rico in 1952? Right? It, it doesn't even come close. The analogy is, falls way short, but this, this is how the Lord is going to raise up a different kingdom. What are we looking for for God's favor, and what are we celebrating? Are we celebrating empire? Do we celebrate Rome, or do we celebrate Jesus? Do we celebrate the baby that comes to the shepherd? Do we, what do we celebrate? In this time of Christmas, as we're talking about ordinary people and an extraordinary God, these are really ordinary shepherds getting the most extraordinary message. I'm challenged at what I celebrate and what I hold, what the, what the shepherds represent. So they were favored in a time when you couldn't look at favor any other way, but they were favored. The second is that they were included I love, I want to I want to give you two other examples. So you have the wise men, and 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 they they traveled from afar and they studied the stars and they did their research and they saw the star of David, and that was what drew them. But it was their study that drew them. And it took them a long time. But they were they were wealthy, they were studiers, they were researchers, they were professors, they came from afar, they were foreigners. And the Lord said, Yep, I'm giving you a sign. If, you're a, if you want, love to study and research and you're a foreigner and you come from afar, come find me. I'm going to give you a sign. 
the wise men got a sign. You know who else got a sign? The religiously longing people. You've got Simeon and Anna who are in the temple and they're waiting for a Messiah and they're longing for a Messiah and they've been promised a Messiah. And when they finally see the Messiah, they're like, we can die now. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. They've, you have this group of religiously longing people who are like, we're longing for the Messiah. You have these wise men who are studying and researching and wealthy and foreigners, and they're, they're, long, they're, they're studying for something. There's got to be something different. And they got a sign. You get a sign, and you get a sign, and you get a sign. Everybody gets a sign. The shepherds, what are they doing? I love this. We don't know much about them. They don't even have names in the story. I, I, the shepherds were surprised. I think the shepherds were shocked. I think they were, they were going about doing their daily duties. They weren't studying. They weren't researching. They weren't the devout longing in the temple. They were working. They didn't have political or religious influence, but they were included. Sometimes we think that only the desperate, only the searchers, only the seekers only the wise men, only the religious type. God only reveals himself to the religious type and the, and the researchers. But you know what? God showed up to people working in a field. And he's like, I'm going to reveal myself to you, whether you're even looking for me or not. They were included. We don't know for sure how they were viewed in society. They could have been viewed on a spectrum of um, one, one person uh, suggests that they were dishonest and thieving and they were really viewed kind of very, very poorly. And others suggest that they, these shepherds might have been tending the flocks in Bethlehem that were sacrificed in Jerusalem because of its close proximity. So there's, there's not a real definitive definition of who they were, but they were included. And all of a sudden you start seeing the shepherds that got included in the Jesus story all along. David was a shepherd tending sheep, and he was brought in to be king. Moses was out tending sheep, and the Lord wanted to declare freedom and jubilee for his nation that had been slave for 400 years, and Moses is out tending sheep. I love the prophetic picture that, the, that, that God paints with this. He's like, I'm going to the shepherds because this is a picture of what it looks like, what my kingdom looks like. Remember what the Lord said about Samuel, uh, told Samuel about David in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, don't consider the appearance or the height. I've rejected him. The Lord, he says this, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. We start seeing the heart of the Lord come through this shepherd. In the Matthew gospel, where they're talking about Jesus coming, he says, I'm going to raise up a shepherd for my people out of Bethlehem. So these shepherds were included. There was this redemption of this shepherding occupation, of this shepherding job. This was an important job, and the Lord was restoring this prophetic picture. And then it says this, not only did they come to the angel, come to the shepherds, not only did he bring that um, important group back, but then he gives them a sign, and he says this, the, the baby will be in a manger. And I love that. It wasn't enough that the angels appeared to them and sang, 
But it was like they said, we're also going to give you a sign. So the shepherds were included. They were given a sign. They were given instructions. And they were given a place in the story. They weren't just token. It wasn't just that the angels showed up and spoke to them and was like, okay, no. The Lord gave them a sign, gave them instructions, and they were included in the story. But I want to think about this for a second. If they had stayed in the fields, stayed in the fields where the angels came, I wonder if their story would have been told. They had to leave the fields. They had to act on the message of the angels. They had to go to the manger. They had to go to town. They had to go find Jesus. It wasn't just enough to hear that they were included in the story. They needed to respond to the sign, respond to the invitation, respond to the calling to go to the manger. We must go to Jesus. We're given signs. And these signs are not just to make us feel included or make us intellectually think we're included. They're signs that point us to the person of Jesus. We're not given a sign that leads to an idea. We're not given a sign that leads to a philosophy or a set of beliefs. We're given a sign that leads us to the person of Jesus. We go to the manger. Our Savior is not an idea. Our Savior is not a declaration. Our Savior is a person. And the angels point to the person. And they tell the, the shepherds, go find the baby in the manger. That's where your Savior is. The story of the shepherds may not have been told today if they stayed in the fields and didn't go. Scott Erickson writes in his Honest Advent, he says this, the giver of life hides revelation in the things we ignore because it is the work of humbling ourselves and asking to have eyes to see and ears to hear that truly transforms our hearts. Are we excluding ourselves? Do we exclude ourselves from God's story because we think we're not religious or wise or wealthy? Do we exclude ourselves? The story of the shepherds is that you are included. I'm included. We're each included. No matter how insignificant or significant we feel, we're included. The Lord sees us working in the fields and he shows up and he's like, hey, you might not even have been looking for me, but surprise, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. The story of the shepherds show us that we're all included. How are we responding to the sign that we're given? I love that this manger was like a feeding trough that you fed animals. Shepherds would totally get that. They probably knew where every one of them was in town. They could probably like quickly go through town and be like, manger, 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 baby manger. And then boom, they're there. Like this sign was relevant to their occupation and what they did. And it held the person of Jesus. The last one, significant. The shepherds were significant. We can look at their, the symbolism and say they were significant because the Lord was including all people. And they were, they were poor. And they were marginalized. And they were oppressed. And so, yes, they're significant because of that. 
but I think they were also significant as people in the story itself. The role they played in the specific story. I'd like to suggest that the shepherds were significant to Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and their community. And some of that we see right in the text that we read, and some of it um, I, I, you know, think about, I ponder about, I wonder about. I think that the shepherds brought to Mary and Joseph confirmation. I think they brought celebration, and I think they brought companionship. I think that's what the shepherds, some of what the shepherds did when they came into the story. It says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What, what, did she, what did she ponder? What did she treasure? The only part of this story that it says that she's treasuring is the shepherds, the shepherds showing up. You know, things don't, I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, we were at a wedding yesterday and it was like, it didn't, it, it always seems real when you get to the vows and it's like, all of a sudden you start speaking the vows and it's like, this is really real now. Or if you've ever lost someone, if you've had a, a death and, and the first time I remember Sarah and I had a close friend pass away 15 years ago. And I remember when I spoke it out, the speaking of those words is, makes it real. It makes it shocking. When you share with someone else, it becomes real. And I wonder with Mary and Joseph, I wonder if the reason they didn't have a guest room, an inn, anywhere to have a baby is because they were ostracized from their family line in the town. I'm, I'm speculating now. I don't know if any of us know. Was, did nobody make room for them? How do you not make room for a pregnant lady? How do you not make room? Maybe they didn't want to make room. They had a history. Mary was pregnant, and as much as you convince people it was the Holy Spirit that did it, nobody's going to believe you. They were shunned. Perhaps there no room for them was a shame and was an ostracization and a pushing them to this side. So Mary and Joseph, in the early days, the angels show up and say, woohoo, you're going to have a baby. This is going to be amazing. <clears throat> An angel shows up to Mary. An angel shows up to Joseph. And then you wait and you wait and you wait. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, can I have some? Okay, that's better. Um, thanks. And now all of a sudden you're having this baby in this town. Nobody wants you around. You've been ostracized. You're, you're doing this in an animal stall. And you're like, Lord, where are you? God, where, where are you? Like the angels were cool, but that was like nine months ago. And I kind of need something more now. Like, give me something more now. Who shows up? The shepherds show up. The shepherds show up and they're like, you know what? These shepherds, they don't have any history with Mary and Joseph. They don't know their past. They don't know the drama they've endured. They don't know. And they all of a sudden show up and they contribute to the joy of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph go, We're the Lord still is with us. The Lord's promises are still true. I don't know about you, but like I need confirmation in my life that the Lord is with me. And I think the shepherds were confirmation to Mary and Joseph. I am with you. 
I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. The shepherds get included in this larger story, and I think they contribute massively to Mary and Joseph. Only God knew the truth about where they were, but they were alone, no one to celebrate this with. And the shepherds show up and are like, angels came and told us, let's celebrate. This is the savior of the world. And it changed the environment. Maybe it changed the environment for Mary and Joseph like they could have never believed. I don't know, we tell birth stories and we tell our kids birth stories. Kids are like, what time of day was I born? What happened? Where was I born? You know, and you kind of tell all those birth stories. So I'm sure we're, I'm sure Mary and Joseph told Jesus their birth stories. I'm sure they were like, Jesus, shepherds showed up. I'm sure Jesus was shaped. I'm sure the birth stories that were told to Jesus were shaped by the shepherds showing up. I bet Jesus was like, yep, those are my people. Those are my people. Those are my people. This is me. This is my identity. I'm a shepherd. This is who I'm called to be. He was shaped by his birth story. Man, these shepherds were significant. They, I think they changed the environment. They brought celebration and joy to Mary and Joseph. They brought identity and remembrance to Jesus in his calling. And then they were significant to their community. We read, it said this, when they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Man, there's, the Lord does so much. He gives us a sign. We show up at the manger and we find the person of Jesus. And when we find Jesus the impact and significance around everyone else is multiplied. When we follow the signs we've been given and we arrive at the person of Jesus, we show up and, and we change things. Things change. Mary and Joseph's lives were changed. Jesus was changed. The life of the community was changed. The shepherds are changed. And sometimes we want to compare things like, man, the wise men got the star, the religious people got this, so-and-so's got all these different signs. And the Lord's like, you have a faith journey. You have a faith story. I'm going to come and reveal myself to you, just like I revealed myself to the shepherds. And I'm going to give you a sign that brings you to the person of Jesus. And this sign is not just for you, but it's going to impact your community. We are each called. These shepherds were so significant, and we are too. They were significant in the lives of the people at that time. No matter how insignificant, irrelevant, oppressed, fearful you feel, you're significant. You've been given a sign. You've been given a revelation. You've been given a point to Jesus. How does my presence, how does your presence and your story contribute to the family and the stories of Jesus. The shepherds were huge. The shepherds were huge. God reveals his glory and favor to the shepherds, his glory and favor that is unlike the empire, that is a completely new kingdom. Jesus was sent for the shepherds. The shepherds were went 
and celebrated with Mary and Joseph. There's, there's all of these things happening in this little story with these shepherds. In our ordinary lives, in our ordinary lives with stress, anxiety, poverty, loneliness, disruption, displacement, God wants to break through. He wants to break through. He wants to give us shepherds to show up in our lives. We need shepherds to bring encouragement to us. We need shepherds to show up and remind us that, yes, what the Lord said nine months ago is still true. He's still doing it. We need shepherds. We need to be shepherds for one another. We need to receive shepherds. So as we close, I just want us to think about the shepherds. They were favored. They were included and they were significant. And that's how the Lord thinks about you. That's how the Lord thinks about me. And he doesn't need Rome. He doesn't need an empire to do any of that. He says, I'm establishing my kingdom in your heart, in your life, inside of you. Come to the manger. Come to the person of Jesus. When you come to the person of Jesus, man, everything changes. We can have true jubilee. Luke was declaring true freedom, true life, a true kingdom. And it seems crazy. It seems insane that this is the God we celebrate. And yet no one thinks about the Roman Empire anymore. It was, it was huge then. It's not huge now. The kingdom of God continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. Amen? Amen. So um, I'll just pray as we end. Um, if, you, if you're online and you need prayer for anything, um, please email us. We'll, we'll um, get back to you. We're also going to have a prayer table over here. So if you are in person and you want to receive prayer for anything, please do so. But as we pray this morning, one thing, I think there's people in this room who you've heard the angels speak. You've heard the Lord come to you and he's like, go to the manger, go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And today's your chance is your opportunity. And the Lord gives you opportunity all the time to receive what he's saying. You're included, you're included. And he gives you a sign and he says, go to Jesus. So today, if you want to go to Jesus, if today has been your sign, if the Lord's been speaking signs to you for the last months and months and months, you've been following a star for years and years and years, and you're like, oh, the star, it's over the place of Jesus. That's the revelation the Lord has for you. It's found in the manger. It's found in the person of Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is altogether different than the kingdoms of this world. And Lord, we want to be favored and we are favored and we are included and we are significant in your kingdom. And so we just receive that today. I speak that over every person in this room. Like the angels pronounced, you're favored, you're included, you're significant. The Lord is calling you and he's calling you and he's giving you a sign and he's saying, come to Jesus, come to the manger. So Lord, we bring our hearts today and we come to the manger. Jesus, you're our savior. You can say that in your own heart. Jesus, you're my savior.
You're the one who redeems me. You're my Messiah. So we come to you, Jesus, our Messiah. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for giving us life and jubilee and freedom and salvation. And Lord, thank you that you've made us shepherds to to encourage one another. Lord, I pray for um, us that you would show us how to be shepherds, to come and encourage like the shepherds may have encouraged Mary and Joseph, Lord. Show us how to encourage. Show us how to celebrate. Lord, show us how to celebrate in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty. We celebrate and we, we open our eyes and we see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, if you uh, need prayer for anything this morning, please um, join us at that table over there. Um, and also continue to fellowship with one another. I think we have um, some, some beverages up in the foyer. Um, but God bless you all. Have a, a wonderful week. Amen.